Hitler's War Adolf Hitler's aims in foreign policy and the origins of the Second World War. I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. You just heard there Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of Britain, announcing the declaration of war in September 1939. It's pretty clear from what he says that the fault lies with Germany. And for certainly the first 20 years after the end of the Second World War, that was the accepted idea. It was referred to as Hitler's War. And it wasn't until the publication of A.J.P. Taylor's book, The Origins of the Second World War, in 1961, that that started to change. And the perception of what caused the Second World War became slightly more complex. In A.J.P. Taylor's view of things, Hitler didn't have a timetable. There was no grand plan leading towards a war. If you talked to somebody in 1946, 1947, they would have told you that Hitler caused the war. Hitler wanted the war and he brought it about. Taylor's idea is that Hitler was an opportunist. He took advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves to him, but he never actually set out to cause a war. In this little sequence of podcasts for the first part of Topic 3, that's what we're going to look at. Was Hitler solely to blame for the war? What other factors influenced the road to war? But we have to start at the beginning with Adolf Hitler's approach to foreign policy. Before you listen to this podcast, it's important that you re-familiarize yourself with your notes on the Treaty of Versailles and the failures of the League of Nations. This is all happening at the same time. Hitler's foreign policy is defined against the Treaty of Versailles, so you must be very familiar with the terms. Likewise, Hitler's actions are seen against the backdrop of the failure of the League of Nations. So you must be very familiar with those things before we go any further. So that being said, let's have a look in this first podcast of this sequence at what Hitler actually wanted. And we're quite lucky because he wasn't exactly shy about putting his ideas forward. And the most valuable source that we can use is the book he wrote. It's the book he wrote in prison in 1924, and it's called Mein Kampf, My Struggle. And it's basically his political testament, his manifesto, what he wants to accomplish. And in it, he's very, very, very clear. Basically, you can, at root, find three things that he says he wants to do in terms of foreign policy. The first 
is to make Germany a great power again. To take a seat in the top table of nations exactly where Germany was before the First World War and before the humiliations of Versailles. Secondly, he wants to unite all German-speaking peoples in a greater Germany, obviously under his control. And thirdly, he wants to expand the living space available to the German people in the East. This is a concept called living space. The German word for it, which you need to know, is Lebensraum. So those three core concepts are what drives everything. And don't make the mistake of thinking that Hitler is an outlier, that Hitler is separate from the German people. These aims are immensely popular with the average German person on the street, and to a large extent they help explain the popularity of the Nazi movement in 1920s and 1930s Germany. All the way through the 1920s, the Treaty of Versailles becomes emblematic of the weaknesses of democratic leaders. The people who signed it are regarded as criminals and traitors and communists, untrustworthy, people who sold out Germany and the proud tradition of its nations. Indeed, all of the problems that Germany suffers during the late 1920s and the early 1930s, which are actually caused by the Great Depression, are pinned by the Nazis and by Hitler on the Treaty of Versailles. It is the Treaty of Versailles that has weakened Germany. It is the Treaty of Versailles which has brought Germany to its knees, and only Hitler can bring Germany back to where it should be. That is the basic message that's being put out there. Now, by the time Hitler comes to power, in 1933, a few things have changed. Firstly, reparations have been reduced and then cancelled entirely, so that drag on the German economy has gone. But he's still facing a Germany which is formed by the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. So taking those three aims into account, to make Germany a great power again, to unite all German-speaking people in a greater Germany, and to secure Lebensraum for those Germans. Taking all of those into account, we can start to build up an image of what he needs to do. And it's worth saying at this point that I do agree with AJP Taylor that Hitler did not have a plan. Broadly speaking, he wasn't that organised. When you look at the way Hitler ran the Nazi party and ran Germany, he did not plan, he did not bother himself with the minutiae of sorting out how things were going to work. He had in mind something that he wanted, and every time he saw an opportunity to move closer to that goal, he would grab at it. So, we can get a sense for the broad steps he's going to have to take, but... Certainly when he takes power in 1933, it is a mistake to think that Hitler has any definite plans about what he's going to do. He knows what he wants to achieve, but not how he's going to do it. That being said, it's fairly clear he's going to have to do some things. So, for example, 
if he is wanting to bring back all the German-speaking people, he's going to have to recover some of the lands that were taken as part of the territorial settlement of the Treaty of Versailles. He's going to have to claim back the Saar coal fields, and he's going to have to claim back the port of Danzig, which was put as part of the Polish corridor. And indeed, he's going to have to claim back the Polish corridor. There's also the matter of the Anschluss with Austria. This was the unification of Germany and rump Austria that was left when Austro-Hungary was split up after the war. And you have to remember that the Austrians are German-speaking people. They are culturally, linguistically and racially German. And this matters personally to Hitler because he is, of course, Austrian, not German. So therefore, the Anschluss, the unification with Austria, is going to be on the cards. Because after all, that's seven million people who speak German who can be brought back into the Greater Reich. There are also the German-speaking people in Czechoslovakia and Poland. And getting those people back and bringing those into Germany is also going to require a fairly radical redrawing of the boundaries and territories and borders put in place by the Treaty of Versailles. In order to ensure that Germany can do this, and in order to ensure that Germany regains its position as a great power and recovers from the humiliation of its defeat in the First World War, he's going to have to remilitarize. He needs an army in order to ensure that he's able to do these things, but also to ensure that Germany is perceived as being strong, that Germany regains its pride as a military nation and is able to take its seat at the top table of great powers again. The other reason he needs to remilitarize is this idea of Lebensraum. If Germany is going to expand in the East, if Germany is going to create a greater Germany, an empire in the East, that is inevitably going to cause conflict with the USSR. And this isn't a bad thing. Hitler hates communism with a passion for a, a number of reasons, some political and some sort of in his blood and in his bones. The political thing is that communists are left-wing and therefore they are opposed to the right-wing policies of National Socialism, Nazism. But also, Hitler is at root a nationalist. He believes in patriotism. He believes in the role of race and the role of his people. Communism is an ideology which reaches outside of itself, which believes that countries aren't as important as beliefs. In that sense, it's almost religious. And that makes it alien to Hitler's understanding. There's also the racial element, which is the people in the East are, in the Nazi view of things, subhuman. So it is clear that in order to achieve his basic aims, which are, remember, to make Germany a great power again, to unite all German-speaking people in a greater Germany under his leadership, and to secure Lebensraum, living room, for Germany in the East. In order to achieve those aims, Hitler is going to have to systematically break the Treaty of Versailles. Point by point by point, he's going to have to undo the territorial settlement. He's going to have to remilitarize. He's going to have to pull German-speaking people out of the countries created by that settlement. And at the very end of it, he's going to have to launch some form of aggressive military action in the East. 
Now, that final point is where you can pin on Hitler the idea that he was expecting a war. And he was quite upfront about the fact that at some point Germany would be going to war with communist Russia in the East. But can you pin the idea of a general European and indeed a world war on him based on those aims? To make Germany a great power again, to unite all German-speaking people under his rule, and to secure living space in the East. That's something you'll have to make your own mind up on. How far you think the war is to blame on Hitler, and how much is simply an outgrowth of his aims in foreign policy and the reactions of the other countries to how he went about achieving those aims. In the next podcast, we'll have a look at the diplomatic approaches he took in the early 1930s. And we'll talk about how he started to gamble with what he was doing. But for this little topic, the first thing you need to be secure on is exactly what Hitler wanted and the steps he was going to have to take in order to carry them out. Lock those into your memory and you will be able to handle them in an exam. Thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams.